On this episode of A Story in a Chat, we are going to start a two-part conversation on the topic of whether or not the world is running out of food. It's going to be a good one, so settle in and happy listening. Growing up in a Pakistani household, I would hear so many times a day from my mom to finish up my food because there were plenty of children around the world who didn't get enough of it. Now, many of the times this would encourage me to finish the food on my plate, but again, there were days where I didn't. Now that I'm a parent, I see it playing out with my own daughter where she will leave food on the plate and I am begging for her to finish it up. I've tried that route where I remind her that there are other children like her in this world, except that they're not getting the same food that she is, hoping to guilt her into finishing the food that is in front of her. But again, it doesn't work all the time. So most of the time, I find myself throwing this food away. Now, there have been plenty of times where I've just gone ahead and finished her leftovers or the food that she isn't touching. But anytime I do that, I just start gaining weight. (laughs) So you can understand why I wouldn't continue that practice. So again, it pains me to no end to throw away food. And it always has. This is why I've been thinking about the topic of food scarcity. We hear a lot that with the boom in the human population year over year for the past few decades, that this also negatively impacts the natural resources around us, limiting the food production and therefore leaving a lot of people in this world hungry. But I wanted to dig in a bit more because the other side of that is we've also seen an increase in food wastage. So I just wanted to get to some really smart people and ask them this question and learn more about this area. This is going to be a two-part conversation, the first of which is with Deepak Rajmohan, founder and CEO of GreenPod Labs in Chennai, India. GreenPod Labs is an agritech company that develops cost-effective post-harvest solutions using really cool technology and loads of data. So essentially, they look to extend the shelf life of fruits and vegetables during the storage and transport. So this is way before the food even reaches the consumer. Given the work that he's doing in this area, it's going to be really interesting to hear his perspective on this topic. So let's listen in. Do you think the world is running out of food? So if you just take the long-term thinking, the right, population is growing, so there's no stop on that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase. We've been talking about 10 billion people by 2050 and then increasing the overall production by 60%. So that's a significant amount of increase in food. But on the other hand, we have limited natural resources. Overall, our land, agri, like uh, agricultural land is uh, shrinking and, and water resources and uh, all the ecosystem around agriculture is going down. There are new technologies which are coming up, which is great. I think we need more of those new technologies. I feel we're not too bad right now, but we need so much innovation to, to keep up the acceleration on other fronts. So I feel today's situation is not bad, but thinking about 1950, uh, 2050 and, and years further there, I think we need to take actions immediately. And that has to be thought through for next 100 years. So I think the problem, what I've seen so far is we've always been focused on like solving the problem today, but we're not thinking about the consequences for next next 10, 15 years or so. So I think what we want to do is we want to solve the problem today, but also think about what's the future. So that's how I see. But yeah, so the problem today is not too bad, but if you just let it go, it'll be out of our hand. 
2050, that's just 30 years away. It doesn't, yeah. it's not yeah. that it's, far it's off. Pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you saw, saw, say it out, it sounds long, but it, it's not. It's it's like 1990. So 1990 doesn't sound long. It, not at yeah. all. I think it's because yeah. I have a four-year-old sitting in the other room and in 30 years, she's going to be 34. And it's, yeah, exactly. you know, it's in her lifetime that this will happen. So the yeah. population growth is a key component of all of this. Mm -hmm. And I think if we look at the data and we start right. seeing, we started seeing explosive growth in population, maybe around the 50s or 60s, or maybe even a bit earlier than that. But it was in in relation to explosive technology growth, right? Technology advancements. Yeah. So then, it makes me think, and I'm going to ask these questions. Just bear with yeah. me. But it's always things that, that are in my mind. It's the kind of demand that we see. So I'm in the U.S. I'm in California. Mm -hmm. And where in the world are you, Deepak? In Chennai, Chennai, India, down south India. Okay. And and I think you may see some of these trends back in India as well, where here I'm in California and mm -hmm. we just want avocados all year round. We want all kinds of food all year round. But yeah. I grew up listening to my mom and dad who are from Pakistan. You know, they grew up there and then they moved and their stories are very much, we ate with the seasons. Whatever the season, yeah. whatever was in season, whatever grew, that's what we ate. But we're living in a world where everyone just demands every kind of food all the time. So I guess yeah. why I'm why I'm saying this, because in my mind, I wonder if the food scarcity issues that we see now are due, in fact, to the fact that we don't have any natural resources versus the unrealistic human demand that we have. So how much of it could be a behavioral change versus trying to meet these demands? Yeah, no, I think that just ties with, with the problem what we're solving. So I'm glad you asked that question, Aisha. So, so you're very right. The production is not a problem for us. India is the second largest producer of fruits and vegetables, but out of which 40% is lost before it is a consumer. So the scenario is so different. And I've been in U.S. as well. So in U.S., the majority of wastage happens after it reaches a consumer. So about 30 to 35% of fruits and vegetables and food loss happens after it reaches a consumer. So it's, it's definitely a behavioral problem in, in developed countries. In developing countries, it's an infrastructure problem. So I'm just giving you this one perspective of like right. food insecurity in terms of like food waste problem. So there's multiple consequences, multiple influences for it. But it's very true. Sometimes we've gone into that mode of like, we just start demanding what we want. And whatever happens out of it, if like one people just like go with one and then the other side, uh, whatever happens, no one knows it. So uh, we're not looking at this as a more holistic approach. We're looking at it as like, am I happy today? That's good. I'm not right. saying it's, it's, not, it's not good. We have to think that, am I happy today? Right. But at some point, we ha also have to think about the holistic approach, uh, how we are approaching it. So yeah, so it's a part of behavioral change. And also, it's a part of influences from government, influences right. from uh, other big organizations. It, it has to be a collaborative approach. Right. I see a movement around that. But overall, people are talking about food insecurity. People are talking about how much of hunger index do we have? How are we, how are we approaching it? A lot of big organizations like WHO, Bill and Melinda, and these organizations are, are stepping up their game. But it, so, yeah, it, it, we have to accelerate is what I feel. But you're right. It's a part of behavioral change and also the influences from other big organizations. So the behavioral change obviously is harder to do, right? You can't yeah. tell humans 
what to do. We're, we're seeing this in COVID right now, right? Where the US, there's so many people here who just refuse to wear masks because it, it they feel that it's infringing on their rights. So that being said, imagine, I'm imagining a world where we are saying, please cut down your food consumption by 30%. I just thought of this where the house is technologically set up to where it calculates food wastage, food consumption, and all of that. And then it's like a it's like an electric meter outside where this household wasted 50% of their food, so they need to cut their consumption down. And then just being able to place that elsewhere, because even in the US, there are many food insecure homes and, and families that just don't get to eat. So there's a big imbalance yeah. there too. Yeah. But Every time I think of that, it requires us to think as humans, as less as an individual and more as that. So are you running up against things like this in your line of work, like having to deal with human behaviors and trying to convince people that looking at food and food production this way is the right thing to do? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to answer that question because I feel even individual as an individual, we should have the responsibility of the environment. But also we have to have the responsibility of economic balances. So if you right. start buying the food, what you need, you're just saving up. If you don't need the 30% which you're wasting, you're just saving up that money. So people don't realize that. Right. It's, a, it's an economic value what we add. I've heard some statistics where if you just cut down your overall wastages, you can save up to like $500 per month or, or even more. Right. That's a significant amount for a, for a regular household. I, I think that's where the communicate. that's where, so everyone operates with their incentives, right? So no one is going to change their behavior until we give the right incentives. So, so I feel it's not hard to change uh, the, the behavior. It's just that we need to present with them the right incentives. If we do that, there would be a systemic change, but it's going to take, take them time. Personally, we have not had this problem because we are going more of a B2B. Our, our uh, business or our company, we're building more of a B2B where we work with farmers, we work with large uh, supply chain players and stuff to save the food waste and food losses. For them, it's an increase in bottom line. It's not going to take six months to realize the impact. It's going to take six days for them to realize the impact. So if they save up the losses, uh, they're going to increase their economic value and they're going to increase their bottom line sales. So we've not had any problem with that. But I think uh, if you go B2C, working with consumers, there's going to be a lot of education side because the consumers, they have, they have so much going on in their life. It's not just the food they buy or the food they consume, but there's so much into your life. So communicating about one segment of their life, it's going to be hard, but it's not impossible. Right. So please talk to me about it. I think that's a staggering statistic that you just gave earlier on that at least in India, 40% of the food is wasted before it even hits the consumers. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what you were saying, that there's an infrastructure problem. There are a lot of people who don't understand their journey that their food takes before yeah. it gets to them. Can you help enlighten us a little bit about that? What does it look like from the farmer or whoever is growing our food to my table for dinner? I would love to explain that. I, I can also give a perspective of like how it happens in, in US and how it happens in India. That'd be because great. I've been in both, both seg segments. So let's just take, uh, so the overall differences in India and US. So in US, the average farm size is about 400 acres. So the farmers who are doing farming, the average farm size is about 400 acres. Whereas in India, the average farm size is like two acres. Hmm. It's micro size farm. 
Wow. And we we have like all around 200 million uh, farmers uh, owning that amount of uh, farm each. So that is a huge difference. And this is the, mass and and they're responsible for mass production of food. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's the biggest difference between US and in India that major on the production side. And then from the overall supply chain looks very similar to to US or India in terms of like how it it is approached. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some layers what adds up. Usually the at the farm level the fruits and vegetables are harvested depending on the shelf life of that crop either they are stored or they are moved into a, a distribution center or a processing center and then the processing center can have cold storage so in us they have a processing center where they'll have cold storage or cleaning or or they'll have packaging area from there that moves to a warehouse and that's the point where warehouses uh, from warehouse it can be either through distributors it reaches different uh, retail stores or retail stores directly go to those uh, warehouses at the farm level to procure the crops and throughout the supply chain uh, in us and other european countries it's completely cold storage hmm. so from farm until it reaches the end uh, end consumer level everything is temperature controlled well managed very organized and and that's how it's operated Mm-hmm. so the majority of losses uh, which happens during the supply chain is limited in 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 terms of us because this infrastructure there's like uh, proper temperature control and in everything on top of that there are some losses and quality issues but it's not significant amount whereas in india we are starting with as micro farms really small farms mm-hmm. and that is continued throughout the supply chain so throughout the supply chain it's a lot of fragments in us if it's like there's one player between the farm and and the retail end in india there will be like 10 players within that supply chain so there's like micro distributors like middleman who are like buying the crop from one end to other place and then from there to another place and from there to another place and this lot of breakage happens and the overall uh, supply chain does not have uh, cold storage or cold supply chain so that causes huge losses okay uh, so the process wise the fruits and vegetables or or any crop is is uh, harvested at the farm level that moves to a, a processing or a distribution center from there a distributor picks up and then from there it reaches the retail store that's the overall process and and from retail stores uh, consumers can go buy okay so then the work that you're doing what kind of efficiencies is it injecting into the overall process or system yeah that's a great question so what we are doing is we are developing the active packaging so the active packaging what it does is it slows down the ripening rate so the crop gets spoiled because of it over ripens mm-hmm. and then if there's and then attack from a microbial attack so mm-hmm. those are the major two reasons why crops are getting spoiled and in terms uh, in india the temperature is higher the average temperature in india is three times that of us and europe so the acceleration of ripening is also more so uh, the two reasons why the crop is spoiled is one on the ripening rate it gets spoiled two it can be because of microbial attack so we have developing a packaging solution it looks very similar to a silica gel sachets so whenever you buying any leather bag or leather shoes right. you get those small silica gel sachets it looks very similar to that we developed that with our proprietary formulation that slows down the ripening rate and then it prevents any microbial growth so the crop during the supply chain is maintained for the quality and freshness so we're giving a, a longer shelf life so that they can sell more and then minimize the losses so that's how we've been operating so yeah the product works in that way and we're trying to minimize the losses from the farm until it reaches the consumer 
how much of the produce that's grown in India is grown for, for local consumption? And I guess by local, I mean local to India because even the farmland in North, they're probably supplying all over India, which is huge. But how much of it actually stays in India versus is exported to other parts yeah, of the world? That's another great question. It's very staggering. India is the second largest producer, as I mentioned, but our export market is less than 3% in India. So wow. less than 3% is what is exported from India. It's, okay. it's growing, but the statistics still 2019 is less, less than 3%. It's a significant difference. Right. And on top of that, the processing, the primary processing in India is like less than 5% is, uh, of the crop is processed. Primary process made into puree or anything of that sort. And the export market overall is less than 3%. That's because of a lot of logistic problems and also support from the ecosystem. That's missing. Uh, recently, government has gone uh, full length into supporting more exports, uh, which is going to take some, a couple of years, but there's going to be a change. The current statistics is less than 3%. So it's, it's very staggering. So almost 97% is trying to consume in, in, within the India, but out of which 40% is lost. It's a really weird situation where we are. I see. Is there, so 3% is slow with the right infrastructural improvements what number could that get to in like by 2050, let's say, in the yeah, next 30 no, that's, years? That's, that's, yeah, great question again. It's hard to predict because the, the consumer interest in India is also growing. So people are willing to consume more fruits and vegetables. So there's going to be a higher demand from the country as well, not just for globally. The overall consumption rate in India for fruits and vegetables and all these fresh produce is going to grow as well. So I think maybe reaching 15 to 20% is quite significant. If we can reach that, that can open up a lot more opportunities. And then we forget, again, it's a, it's a domino effect, right? So if we start uh, increasing our exports for fruits and vegetables, there's going to be other opportunities in that market. So if we have already established for one supply chain, we can establish other supply chain itself. So there's a lot of a domino effect we, I see. But I would say by 2050, if we can reach uh, 15 to 20% of, of, the, of that year's production. I think that's a pretty good number. There's a lot of writing and thinking out there around the, the quality of food that we are now eating, the degradation and the quality of the food that we're eating and use of soil over and over again, because there's supposed to be breathing room, right? Like once you yep. grow a crop, you're supposed to let the soil breathe and renew itself for a little while. But the way mass production works, you just keep growing, you just keep growing, you keep using the soil. So then that affects the quality of the food that we're eating. And so in the same effect, when we're exporting food from one side of the world to the other, no matter how great that infrastructure is and cold storage, but there's almost just like a half-life of the quality of the food, right? Every day that passes from picking a fruit or vegetable to the time it gets, it's not as high quality as it should be. And then the, the effects that it then has on our human health. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Like the quality of food, is it better for me to have a backyard garden and to grow what I can and how I can in whatever climate I am, I'm in and just rely on that versus having this kind of this worldwide buffet of, mm, I feel like having a jackfruit today, I'm going to order yeah. that. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think I, I do feel that overall biodiversity has, has gone down. Our consumption has been limited to probably 10, 15 crops, majority. I, I do agree there are, there are like, there's been interest on, on few exotic fruits, some part, uh, 
but majority of the consumers are consuming less than 15 grams okay and and that that being said it's always better if you can grow your food even though i'm like i'm working in in this support system i even though my business is dependent on this but i i i feel that as a consumer if you're open to growing the food yourself and uh, having a control over that that's definitely better it's just the question of convenience do we have everything what is needed to grow the food and and sufficiently grow the food for for the family that that's a question that has to be answered going back to your question on the quality side it's very true when you have long supply chain the overall quality goes down because we've been like it's it's been run in multiple uh, levels and and controlled overall and that can lose a lot of quality micronutrients and, and macronutrients and all the stuff I think the solution to that is going to be more of like a local production be it with like hydroponics and aquaponics where you have urban farming within the cities and then you you procure the fruits and vegetables or or grains or whatever that from that segment and also think about in a more sustainable way how we're going to maintain the nutritional profile while transporting it so we've not got into those those discussion yet because first point is like saving the food itself is being That's high right. so then we have to focus on the nutrient side as i mentioned before we look at that so whenever based on our product basically when i said slows down the ripening rate we want to make sure the nutritional quality is not compromised so we're doing testings to make sure throughout the supply chain the overall nutritional quality is not it's not compromised mm-hmm. yeah it's obvious that we need to save the food but in next 20 years that can be given the nutritional quality would be a priority so we're thinking about that today whenever a new solution is coming to the market people have to think about what are the other consequences to it so going back to the original question are we running out of food first of all that's a multifaceted kind of yeah. view that we have to take right because food in itself there's so many aspects like what you and your work is tackling is you know from production before it even gets to the consumer like tackling wastage there so waste yeah. is a big part of food scarcity it's not that yeah. we're not growing enough it's just that we're wasting more than we actually should be yeah. and there's waste on both sides of that supply yeah. and demand chain i don't know if you know this off the top of your head but india the the 40% wastage what other countries have like really staggering waste numbers like that yeah yeah most of the developing countries have this problem pretty significantly <clears throat> so most of the asian countries like indonesia malaysia and then vietnam philippines they have they have losses and all the african countries have huge huge losses so places like kenya chad and all, all those countries in in africa the losses are very significant mm. some of the crops they have losses for 70 80% so wow. 70% production just gets wasted before before it's consumed So when we start looking at the consumer side of the equation here in India is a modern consumer food consumer in India wasting as much food as the modern consumer in the US. Yeah. Culturally I don't think so. I think the interesting part is from the beginning probably the previous generation or generation before that they would have struggled for food some form or other. So people appreciate food more here for sure. at least at the at the domestic residential level i i don't see that behavior people value food people like whatever class or whatever a segment they are in with respect to their uh, like earning and stuff 
I, I don't see that happening. But on the other hand, there are restaurants and there are other organizations where we still feel what behavior we saw in U.S. is coming here. In U.S., one of the biggest problems, what I discovered was in the retail stores, they, they procure huge amounts just to create that behavior thought of like, you have unlimited produce, so you can buy whatever you want. So those kind of dynamics are happening in India. That's also seen in restaurants where they pile up so much food for buffets and stuff. I mean, now because of COVID, it's not happening. But, right. but, but other than that, as a domestic conception, I don't see that happening. I don't see uh, people wasting food. And the other side as well, the overall like buying pattern is also different. Hmm. In India, people cook a lot. So there's cooking at least every day or every once in two days and stuff. So there's more of like short-term buying. And the wastage is also lower. In US, it's more like people consume for a week or two weeks, like they buy for a week or mm-hmm. two weeks. And that, that changed the overall pattern. So that, I feel there are a lot of good things with respect to consumers' eating pattern and wastage. But yeah, I hope uh, things don't go south from there. I read this article. It was speaking about the lunch culture in, I'm going to pick a big city like Mumbai where the lunch boys go around delivering the kits of food, right? It's like the, it's like the Indian Dabawas. style bento boxes. Yes, dabawalas. Yeah, dabawalas, yeah. And, and so they deliver the lunch. And, and then there was this ingenious idea because there was a lot of waste happening there too. Not everyone would finish their food, but then like a couple of blocks over, there are these huge slums where people are going extremely hungry. So one of the solutions that they came up with was the dabawalas would go deliver the lunch and then after lunch, they'd go back, get the leftovers, and then deliver the leftovers to the, yeah. the inhabitants of the slums. So that was, I think it's a small but really important step towards tackling yeah. hunger. What are some other ways that you think, like with your big brain, like what are some other ways that we can start tackling these inequities in yeah. food? No, I think, I think there's so much opportunities here. And, and as a company also, we are exploring every opportunity one by one. We want to think about it. So exactly what you said, connecting people with people who don't have food and people who have access to food, connecting with, with a platform or, or any of a software or whatever possible mm-hmm. and, and building more, like it can be for profit or non-profit, whatever that is, that's totally fine. Uh, I think that's a great uh, way to look at. Indian weddings are huge. In those weddings, right. there's a huge amount of wastage. Again, that's the behavior within that. So the domestically, people react different, but but when they show off for others, mm-hmm. they react different. That's that's another problem. So in, in those we- weddings, there's a lot of wastage happens or, or like a food. So uh, there because are- at a wedding, the food, especially like in a desi wedding, like Indian or Pakistani, the food is the main focus of yeah, the event, yeah, right? Not just yeah, the quality yeah. of food, but how much food. How much? Right? Yeah. How many? Yeah. How many uh, different types of food you have? Mm-hmm. That's like perceived as like pride. So I think there are a few companies who are trying to like to source that food and then provide for for people who, who don't have food with respect to like homeless or any other segments where, where they feel food reaches lower. Uh, I think that's a huge opportunity what we can think about. And the other opportunities is, so currently we there's no process of converting food waste into energy. There's, there's a huge opportunity with that. Um, right. So food waste can be converted into biogas and that biogas can be consumed for other energy use. That can be for like 
apartments and and uh, all uh, restaurants can adopt that right. um, all these uh, mass consumption locations food waste can be converted into these energy sources and that can be utilized that's another way of looking at it so yeah. people, just to wrap this up is there any ray of hope that you can provide to <laughs> everyday people like me so that by the time my daughter is 34 we're not tackling this issue that we are now at the brink of food scarcity for the world what can everyday yeah. people like me do to help the situation <laughs> so again i'm going to circle back to my first thought we should think holistic it's not about our life alone we should think about what we're doing is that influencing others uh, i strongly believe that as a everyday consumer you have a lot of power as a consumer we forget that we have so much power to to change the overall dynamics so consumers demanded organic food in us and that's how the boom of organic came in so i i believe consumers can take their uh, power in hand and then and then change the dynamics it's not too late we have to uh, talk about this in public media we need to talk about this in in more open way and and think about the future not just for us today but for every other people around so i would say even spending like a couple of minutes a day thinking about the the influences what you have and are you making the right choices that itself is a huge win uh, very hopeful for the future and and everyone can make a difference here i wish you amazing success in your work because I don't want that number to be at 2050. Let's draw that number out to as far out as possible. Deepak, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Aisha. Thank thank for your opportunity. It was great talking with you. I love the questions. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Story in a Chat with me, your host Aisha Iqbal. Now remember, this is part 1 of a two-part conversation that we're having on food scarcity and whether or not the world is really running out of food. So, why don't you go on ahead and let the next episode start playing where we're going to have part 2 of the conversation. See you there.